reports direct from Melbourne courtside and from our offices in New York City. It's the Australian Open edition of the Tennis.com podcast. And here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Good morning, everyone. Tennis.com podcast, the Australian Open edition, day three, coming to you from New York. I'm Ed McGrogan in Melbourne with Steve Tigner. Uh, We're going to discuss day three action, which is just wrapping up right now. Uh, the last match, Baghdadis and uh, Stan Wawrinka just wrapping up um, for set now, Margaret Cordarina. That was the scene for the match of the day. John Isner beating beating um, excuse me, David Nalbandian in five sets. Um, that was a very impressive match in its own right. 10-8 was the final of over four hours, but the big story to come out of that was a really um, really. A, a huge call, really a no call that was made by the umpire. Um, it was a, an ace that was overruled, um, but after a series of confusions, uh, David Nelbany was not allowed to challenge it, and as it turned out, the challenge, uh, it showed that the serve was out. He would have gotten a break point. Um, Steve, if you want to um, put it all together, uh, you were there and uh, saw how this all unfolded. Yeah, that has to be one of the worst calls I've ever seen. Um now Bandian, now Bandian actually said he, that he got a worse call against Andy Roddick in 2003 U.S. Open semifinals. I remember that call too. This one, that one was bad. It was probably a bad call, but there was no Hawkeye then. This is in a way worse. Now what what was the what was before we go on? What was that call in the '03 Open? It was a ball. Um, I can't remember. It was close. Now Bandian was close to winning. Um, it would have been a big point. He was up two sets. It was a ball that was either in or out that, um, that the wrong call was made against him, he argued, for a long time. Mm-hmm. And obviously there was no Hawkeye and no overrule. Now, Bandian said today that it was, that was a bigger deal because it was the semifinals of the U.S. Open. This was a more ridiculous call because, A, the serve wasn't really even close. Isner's serve was – it was originally called by the linesman correctly out. Um, Isner looked like he was about to challenge the other way. Uh, Cater Nooney, the umpire, who doesn't normally do men's matches, he's usually on the WTA tour, he um, overruled it, said it was good. Uh, there was a lot of noise at the time, so Nobandian wasn't sure what was going on. So he, he took a look at the mark. He sort of asked, he asked the umpire what had happened, then he took a look at the mark, then he challenged in what they, sh- you know, we, they showed it a bunch of times. He challenged in a pretty reasonable amount of time. Um, you know, not immediately, but within that context within a reasonable amount of time also it was eight all in the fifth set break point that's a whole you know a whole other element he should have been more lenient the umpire should have been more lenient at that point uh, the umpire wouldn't wouldn't allow the uh, the challenge so it went on you know it went down as an ace even though even though clearly was out and it was going to be a second serve break point right at that moment also isner had Really been flagging now. Bandian, all Bandian was doing was hitting pretty solid shots, and Isner wasn't able to get to him. It really looked right at that point that that Bandian was going to go on to win the match. We don't know that, but but it looked like it at that point. Yeah, yeah. With the call and how it turned out, you you certainly felt pretty t- terrible for Nell Bandian, who it sort of seemed things were just conspiring against him at that point and he would go on to lose the match uh you know a game later after this he was at, up to that point really getting isner who was seemed to be cramping of some sort getting him with a lot of just 
really just kind of moving him around the court with nothing overpowering, even though Nelbanian uh, at a couple times had some pretty simple backhands for a player of, of his caliber um, and actually missed some really opportunities to get this match um, mm-hmm. settled before this all happened. But as it turned out in the end, Isner, you know, just he's he seems to have made a career out of uh, just – Big matches, obviously the biggest one of all time, but he had another long five-setter at the U.S. Open a couple years ago with Andy Roddick. This guy has just kind of, he's just Mr. Drama, really. He, um, well, I can say, go back to Nalbanian for a second. He missed two pretty easy, makeable backhands, probably because he was nervous. All he really had to do was hit the ball decently and Isner wasn't going to get there. He also, Nalbanian also played a terrible, terrible last game to be broken. He almost looked like not that he was tanking, but he played the points in a way that was just destined to... He, he was ahead in the game, and he was ahead in these rallies, and he played them in a way that was just... Um, it was just like he was... He wanted to lose almost. He didn't. Uh, he said afterwards that he wasn't really affected by the call. He said that Isner... He gave the credit to Isner and said Isner played a great game. And that's the one thing that's also um, bothersome about this bad call is it sort of robs Isner in a way. He... He gets to win the match, but but um, but he doesn't. All anybody talks about is this call. I've had I've, just, I've had a couple of people um, email me or tweet me that they think Isner should have allowed, insisted that Nalbanian be allowed to challenge uh, on that call, and that's something I thought about, and, and that would have been a sporting thing to do. But I don't think that you can really ask Isner at that point because essentially that's him challenging his own ace at eight all on the fifth. So. I think that was just all in the chair umpire at that point. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Isner makes a specialty of these matches. He played, despite the fact that he was getting tired at the end, up until the very end, he played really well in the fifth set. And he had some chances to break, um, you know, to break Nobandian serve late in the fifth to almost to close it out. He he does have a, an ability to hit to use his serve to get out of these these types of um, situations, and also just to to up his level in, in other parts of his game. He lost a match, a uh, similar score last year to Chilich on the same court here, but it was another, you know, it was another epic, another Isner special. You know, one, one final thing about this call is I think this, this actually brings up a larger point about the challenge system and Hawkeye and everything that, um, you know, there are going to be instances like this one and potentially in matches of far greater significance, you know, last couple rounds of a slam, for example, where where we're going to see on television a call that was incorrectly made, but a player was either, uh, in most cases, out of challenges or in, or in this weird case, denied the opportunity to challenge. And, and I think for fans of tennis, it's very disconcerting that the technology is is available to make the correct call and to uh, you know write what should have happened in a match, and I think at some point down the road it's going to come to a head and we're going to see an event sort of like this where um, you know basically the wrong uh, you know champion the wrong winner on a huge on a huge stage is made because of the limitations that the sport is putting on the technology. Yeah, maybe it becomes like football. Maybe you have a you know, Nalbanian got the supervisor out, but there's nothing in the rules now that says the supervisor of the tournament can can overrule the chair umpire in that situation. It's just, you know, you could you could, the guy would have to do it. He could players would be able to get the supervisor out every single time. 
in certain situations if that was the case. But maybe you, maybe that becomes part of it. Maybe there's you know like a booth review where we where they just look at what's actually true. That's something Mary Carrillo has talked about for a long time. That one of the weaknesses of the challenge system is that it doesn't necessarily get you the right call. So right. Maybe this will maybe, maybe this will uh, change that somehow. Yeah, possibly some additional discretion for the officials depending on what point in the match it is. But uh, you're right, that, that's going to be an issue, I think, down the road that will kind of resurface. But um, but besides this match, you know, before this match happened, it, it was kind of a day that kind of didn't really uh, center upon one match in particular. Um, you were there for the whole day, of course. Just a couple highlights to kind of wrap things up about non-Isner and Nelbandian happenings on day three. Yeah, it was a little bit of a flat day. Federer was supposed to go play in High Sense Arena for the first time in seven years, and his opponent, Andreas Beck, um, pulled out, so that was a bummer. Uh, the match that was moved over there was a good match. Dolgopolov won in f- uh, 8-6 in the fifth set. Um, other matches, Donald for Americans, Donald Young lost. Marty Fish lost a pretty a pretty disappointing performance. He was, he was just letting things bother him against Alejandro Faya. And just didn't play well, um, you know, throughout the match. So he was the highest seed to go so far. Um, as far as a, another American, Christina McHale pulled out a pretty good, a pretty good win as well. And um, Rafael Nadal, I thought looked looked good in in Rod Laver Arena. Tommy Haas gave him a pretty good test, but but Nadal said he was playing well and he he did look good and his knee was fine. So that that was you know that was the big name to get through. Yep, and the rest of the names uh, obviously will go up tomorrow. That'll wrap up the second round. Um, you know, no weather, of course, so we're getting all the matches in. And uh, weather conditions there, pretty usual summer summertime in Melbourne. So also, uh, one, just one, one more um, that I forgot. But late in the day, Bernard Tomich beat beat um, Sam Query. That felt significant to me in a way that it wasn't a spectacular win, but it was a pretty professional win by Tomich over a guy. Who's been in the top ten, uh, top twenty before Clary's not quite there right now? But Tomich, you know, just handled him. He he followed up his huge epic win with a, a pretty solid win. That's what I think. That's what you want. That's 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 the sign of somebody. Or that's you know that's what makes a good player is those kind of wins. And he's on a track possibly to play Federer soon. He's certainly, I think, accepting and possibly even embracing that uh, that responsibility now as the Aussie number one. And, and I, I totally agree with you about uh, you know about making that match really just just did what he needed to do. And that was after losing the first set to Aquari, who came out really firing in that one too. And the next match for Tomich is against Ogopalov, which is uh, yeah, I would get your seats early for that one. That'll be very uh, well attended because of their. Uh, quirky games both of those two so um so we'll be back tomorrow to talk about more with steve tigner i'm ed mcgrogan thanks for listening tennis.com podcast you've been enjoying tennis.com's weekly podcast thanks for listening for all the latest news and events head over to tennis.com 